So that's another great part of personal development. You know, do these jobs. Don't be a job snob. Try and get on, keep yourself in work and, and learn your trade. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. So you're a qualified EP professional. What now? What's next in your learning and development calendar? Today, John Moss and myself, we're delighted to be talking about the Learning and Development Forum for EP Professionals that the Circuit Magazine just ran. And we're going to be talking with Sean West, fellow Circuit Magazine director and director of Sean West and Associates. Big questions, John. Lots of people are addicted to certificates, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, so long as it keeps you training, keeps you doing personal development, then you could argue that it's a good thing. It's certainly better than, you know, having a blasé attitude towards it and then not taking on any further development because you don't rate the certification. Uh, so, yeah, but but then there's also the other question, and it, should that be the driving force behind your course selection? That's true, because obviously now that lots of courses meet a, at least in the UK, certain standard from the SIA, how do you differentiate? In the States, where maybe one could argue there is no standard, and that is in, in itself a big topic, the schools are very much uh, you know, to play for. And there's, there's a lot of alumni from schools driving demand to schools. And that's absolutely fine. Everyone will do that. But I guess the question that we posed for the Learning and Development Forum was, if you do endless certificates without practical application, without work experience, is that beneficial? Now, maybe, maybe John, is that an urban myth? Are EP operators out there just doing hundreds of certificates before they think they're ready to get a job? Well, no, I, I don't think it's a myth, but maybe it's not quite as prevalent as it might seem i think uh you've you've got to look at it from a few aspects i mean i know we have people within our communities for instance who have joined the community they've passed their their initial cp ep training so they're qualified they're ready to go but nobody is ready to uh give them a start yet or the the opportunities haven't been there so what what can they do in the meantime well you know there's this training you can start to build up a bit of a portfolio of courses but you don't want to fall into the trap of being known as the guy who's got the ticks in the boxes but not the real world experience so you know there is a balance that you need to achieve with that that's true and 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 that that's true in wider life as well and i get it it, it, it's comfortable, isn't it? We've all, or nearly all of us have been to school and at school you did work, you got grades, you felt good. So you want to continue that. And, and actually knowing how to benchmark yourself through said qualifications, that is really fulfilling, but it shouldn't come at the expense of actual work. So on our event, you know, just, just briefly, it's probably worth mentioning, we looked at a variety of additional EP skills. We looked, yes, at business skills, and I think Sean will uh, touch on 
some of those. But we looked at, you know, sector specific ones like what about working with celebrities? Uh, what about uh, fitness? And actually, when we had Levar Adams and Mick Coop, uh, who both have been on the podcast before, so it was fantastic to sort of see them together in their very own panel, they made a good point that maybe some skills like fitness fall by the wayside because they don't often come with a certificate. So there's, there's, there's continuous skills and there's ways of demonstrating it. Like, how could I demonstrate that I had a mentor on a CV? I could write it, but there's no, yeah, this person mentored me. Um, and, and, and I think we're going to get into mentorship as well with Sean. Um, how, how important has uh, that aspect of it been uh, for you, John? Do, do you think a lot of people get ahead because of mentors? Well, I think the, the term, the phrase and the concept of mentorship in the British CP community is still some way off being, um, you know, fully accepted and, and, and even an avenue that, that really exists in, in a formal sense. Now, I know across in the US, that this is a lot more uh, formalized and it's, it's kind of part of the process. And maybe that comes from, as you mentioned earlier, the lack of a recognized standard. And so perhaps it's forced the issue of mentorship to become, you know, a bigger thing because reputations and who you align yourself with is, is a far greater aspect to how you decide and what training you decide to do in the US. Whereas here, because we have these recognized institutions that accredit, you know, various training and so on, I, I think the whole idea of mentorship is, is only perhaps just starting to emerge. So I, I think it really depends who you're asking that question to. I know in an informal way, we all have people we look up to and there's the people who've gone before us uh, both in a good and a bad way and that serves as a good place to draw a lot of your lessons from. Indeed, and, and, and maybe some of our mentors don't know their mentors. They're literally you know, inspiring us. Um, and you know, try put that on a CV. <laughs> that, 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 that's a tricky one. So maybe this is a good juncture to explain why we're talking to a fellow Circuit Magazine director at all. Of course, we love to talk to each other on, 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 a, on a regular basis, but this event does not exist in a vacuum. Uh, we, of course, have our fantastic podcast guests, and we're really grateful to our Circuit Magazine contributors as well. Every uh, month or other month, we've been you know, pleased to either collaborate or put on our own circuit magazine event online where we deal with the topic as applied to EP. And so these events, we seek to, yes, bring the pages of the circuit magazine to life, but we also want to think about what extra skills, uh, not necessarily certificates, but extra skills uh, are going to be really key for the protector. And what we did, we actually got Sean to join this and reflect on what he'd been hearing and give a bit of his own story and his own testimony for his own journey, because he's a great success in his own right. And it's it's really quite a treat to have a look at that and, and see the nuggets and pearls of wisdom that he has for our community. Yeah, absolutely. I've known Sean for maybe... 20 years and it this was fascinating this was one of the most enjoyable segments 
of the whole event for myself. And me too, because it's wonderful to have Sean's expertise distill uh, what were quite lengthy and complex, um, you know, panels that we that we sort of put together with great people. But it's but it's nice to have that reflection um, and uh, you know ship steering, as it were. So let's get into it. Our very own Sean West, and we're going to be talking learning and development priorities, what he wishes he had learnt uh, all along, and what his advice is for you. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. We are addressing a question for the operator and, and perhaps, you know, team leader manager of today, which is how can we make better uh, decisions about training and development. Why are we where we are? Um, what possible avenues for training and development uh, could there be that we're not exploring? And we're very, very pleased to welcome our fellow uh, co-host of the Sega Magazine podcast, uh, Sean West. And I just wanted to briefly do a quick five, six minute reflection on things we've got coming up, things you can get excited about uh, with the magazine. Um, it's uh, it's a pleasure to uh, welcome you on. How are you doing, Sean? Hi, Pillen. How are you? I'm doing well, enjoying the sun. Uh, you you look very healthy. Thank you very much. No, it's a great panel. Great to see Mike and Ivor at it again. Some great words of wisdom there. Second, everything they've said there. Um, extremely important professional development. Keeps your skills and knowledge up to date and ensures everything's relevant. Uh, we, we have a lot of people who's got in touch with the BBA before and said. Why do I need to do further training when I've already got a license? That should get me the work. But if you're not doing further training, then you're not showing, you're not pushing yourself out there and showing what you can achieve, what you can do. It just shows commitment to the craft by going out there and pushing yourself further. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I hope with today's event, we can... Uh, guide people obviously we're, we're a neutral third party but i would like to ha I hope that we can guide people into making better decisions um everybody knows somebody that, that has gone off and paid many thousands of pounds or dollars and they've said and look what i did i'm like what well, did you did you check with anyone before you did that you know um is, is that still a problem today sean um i think i think i think it's definitely right Personally, before I do any course, I spend a lot of time painstakingly researching it. And I've invested a lot of money over the years in doing different kinds of training. I know there are a lot of people who go off, they think, do cheaper, more bite-sized courses. You know, you can do a lot more of them. You get more certificates, you get more. But I've always leaned towards the more, look for more quality training. It's, it's not all about the more expensive is better or cheaper is better. Just research it and exactly what Mike and I have both said. Um, the big thing is make sure the course instructors are active in the industry. You know, doing a CP course, if someone's just done a CP course and then they're there teaching it, they've got no anecdotes of, you know, things that have happened in, I don't know, in some club in Marbella or on some super yacht off the coast of Sardinia or whatever it may be. They don't know how to navigate this. You know, private airports, heli terminals, all of that sort of experience you only get from working on the ground. So if you've just done a course, 
and then became an instructor, you, you can't really know what you're talking about. Yeah, that would be that would that would be a bit of a telltale sign uh, everywhere. Um, and uh, there are there are some gurus on YouTube that for 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 non EP related things, and you do you you do think you're you're famous for being famous, or you you're training about training because you know, and 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 you do need to do your due diligence. So so that's that's the topic that we're we're trying to grapple with t- uh, t- today. How's the day been for you so far? Well, it's been great. As I said earlier, I think you. Know, Either top of his game, some you know, if you haven't got something and being able to take something away from his talk there and the knowledge and experience he puts across, then you ain't watching the same presentation as me. Ah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um on on that reflection, um there uh there, there, there was a question from John in the BBA Connect app, and he's interested to find out um f- you know from your perspective, what was the first training course you paid for? and enrolled on after your CP course and after breaking into the industry. And why did you choose that course? It's such a long time ago now since I did my CP course. I can't recall the first course I did, but, but I do know once I done the course, I researched it heavily and I actually done the same course as John. We, instead of looking for a, a cheaper course or just to get the tick in the box, we took ourselves out to South Africa and we flew out and we'd done the running course in South Africa. I read so many great reviews on it about the quality of the training, the quality of the instructors, and you could carry out medical training to a different level to what you could in the UK. So I put a lot of research into the course and it also was a bit of an adventure as well, you know, flying out to South Africa and doing it in somewhere that was a completely different environment to the UK. It took me out of where I was in the UK and it just puts you into that, into the zone you're there to do the course, you're there to do the training and learn, take everything away from it that you can. But the first course I'd done after the co- that course, I can't recall, but what I do know is I'd always, I got the book as soon as I'd done the training. I loved it, you know, I'm ex-parachute regiment background. We did lots of training when you were in the military. I'd done that course and I knew I wanted to make, make it and do well in the security industry. So I set a plan for myself to do the best course I could. And after I'd done that, find some work and invest more money into myself. And I think it, it matter when you choose your training, it depends where you are in the industry. I think as Mike said earlier on in his talk, you have different levels and it depends where you are. You may be an operator, you may be mid-management or you may be senior management. Everyone's at a different peak in their career and everyone's got a different background. So the kinds of training I was looking for, being ex-military, are different to the people who were maybe from a civilian background. So I came back from the Warren Course, South Africa, I found employment. And I looked at, like at the time, it was surveillance training. I wanted to get trained up on that. I did some extra driver training and medical training, even though I'd learned a lot in South Africa on that course. It was great to carry it on because it kept them skills fresh. And... I found employment of, as an as a, as a individual, I became very successful in the industry as an individual operator. And what, one of the things I learned with one of the companies I learned, I worked with, they spent a lot of money and they invested in their staff. They had a training budget. And the one thing I learned was I, I was a individual contract. I was carrying out work for them. And at the time, they, they didn't have 
were getting to cover a period and the director phoned me up and said, Sean, please get yourself on this medical course um, at such and such a place. Do this course. Grateful. And invoice me for the days that you do on the course. And I was like, wow. I can't believe this. You know, this guy's invested in me, done this training, and then came back, carried out whatever work I did for him. And the same thing happened again when there was a spare space, go and do this driving course. And this was a company invested in me. And I thought, wow, this is, it made me want to run through brick walls for this company. And you go out there and every time you were representing this company, you were, you were 10 feet tall and you, you're going above and beyond and representing them. And that was a big lesson I learned as an individual working for a company, what you can get out of your staff. If you invest in your staff, they're going to go a lot further for you and you know, they're going to take your brand a lot further. So that was kind of my path as an individual of training. All my training was to do with operational stuff, but I always had in my mind that at some point, a career as a bodyguard, you know, no one wants a 55-year-old bodyguard unless you're really in shape. So you're always going to have your mind on the future. So with that in mind, I'd embarked on some academic training also. So different management levels, I'd done a diploma, foundation degree. And then I found I became a bit too busy being operational. But I also set up my own company because I went through as an individual, I became a team leader. And I set up my own business as a limited company and started taking on staff as well. And I brought across the lessons I learned from companies I'd worked from, worked for across to my company. And the first, sorry, I'll regress. The first company I set up, I set up with a business partner. And what I found was being successful as an individual is very different to doing it as a business. I'm still fairly new in the industry and I thought, you've got lots of fantastic work doing really well. Let's, let's do this as a business. And what I found was, whilst being successful as an operator, when you go as a business, it's completely different. You know, some people might think they'll set up a company tomorrow and they're going to bring in all of this fantastic work. And it, it doesn't work like that. You, you know, you have to build your name in the industry, get the experience. And like Mike and both Ivar mentioned earlier on during, you know, it's like being, doing a CP course, then become an instructor. You could, some people can set up a business and become successful running this. But I think in this industry, you've got, you've got to have a background in this. You've got to have a good reputation to be successful. Because I mean, the, the close protection sector is, it's a niche sector. It's, it's very small. It doesn't take long for you to, you know, you make a mistake, a mishap, you cross somebody, it, it, you, you get picked out pretty quick. Um, so what I found when I set up my first business, I kept it running for a couple of years and I found it really difficult and tough to, to find any work as the business, but as an individual being self-employed, I continued, you know, it was get, getting work like that, no problem. And then later down the line, I set up a business again and I thought I'd learned lessons from that. And I thought now I had more time in the industry, I'm going to give this a crack again. Um, I set up my company, Sean West Associates. And I thought I'm going to set that up because I thought I'd done well in the industry, been involved with the BBA and people knew me from networking events and different places. And I thought I'm going to put my name to the company because then everything that I put out there, I'm going to make sure it's there's some quality control there and I'll only 
employ people that I'm happy with. They've got the right background, you know, and I'll keep the company small, manageable, niche. Um, and th that's been very successful. Um, but that was part of my, I guess, development over the years is not just the operational training and driving medical, whatever, and then going at the management level training. I've also kind of learned just life lessons in business because you you are your brand, you are your, as a self-employed security operator, you are a business, you're invoicing different companies, and, and there's lots of things you need to learn there, like bookkeeping, um, accounting, all, all of that sort of thing. And it's sometimes there's it's training courses you can do for that, but also it's, a lot of it is learning along the way, you know, and using your time. You know, I remember when I was in Afghanistan, for instance, as, as a bodyguard, and I was studying for a degree, foundation degree, and some of the guys were on maybe Xbox and playing FIFA or whatever they were doing. When you come back to the UK, I had several qualifications, you know, and a bit more experience, and then you manage to get them roles because you've invested time, you've progressed yourself, and you, you've shown you're keen to progress. So, yeah, I definitely recommend you know using your time well, um, whether it's reading books, doing courses, attending the networking events, just learning from people in the industry. And, and Sean, you, you mentioned you mentioned you brought across a lot of lessons from being employed to being an employer. Um, maybe would would you have some advice for uh, team leaders, employers, people in a position to, you know, open the purse strings potentially for someone else? Um, what what do you look for in 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 a, an approach like that? Because someone says, "Oh, can I do such and such a course?" Like, what, what is what is it that sparks your interest? Um, oh, I don't know about the course, but advice for people who've just started the business, I guess. I, get, I mean, John, who asked the question, he, he spent a lot of time, his business partner with the BBN, he spent a lot of time working with me for, for my company, Sean West Associates as well. And I think, I hope he would think I've run the company well and I've I tried to pass on the lessons that I've learned um, to guys that, that work under me. Um, and I'd, I'd class John as a peer because we, we serve together and everything else. But I think I've always tried to, you, you treat everyone fairly, you lead, lead by example. And what I've as things exactly what he says, you know, be warm, be personable. And if someone does something well, you know, sh shine the light on them. <laughs> Don't try and take credit for something you haven't done. If John Smith does XYZ and the family really like that, or the principal likes it, you know, shine the spotlight on them. It's them who get the credit. It's them that have done that deed. And I'm very conscious that whilst running my business, you know, there's many people that work for me that are a lot more qualified and maybe have a lot more experience than me in different areas. And you you bring that experience to the table. You don't step it down. That's, I guess, what being a good leader is. You, you harness that experience of everybody. And bring it, you know, bring it to the forefront. Try and find the right people for the right task. And, and I always remember one of the lessons from the guy from the first company I worked for, who I mentioned, who put me on the different training. I remember he used to select me for a lot of tasks. He said my big skill was being quite uh, had a good first impression. So when I'd meet a new client, they'd say, "We want Sean back. We really liked him. 
when he got the feedback. So when a new client came, it all showing are you available, two o'clock at such and such a place in this dress. I'd turn up, I'd be on time, you'd look the part, and you'd have that good first impression. But one thing I learned by having that good first impression, at the time I was young and I was new to the industry, and there was a lot of full-time roles within that company, but I could never get on a full-time role because then you weren't available to provide that first impression to the new clients. So it almost you can also be a victim of your own success a little bit in in some respect, in some areas. But I always remember speaking to the director at the time, there was a job came up with a, I think it was a Russian girl. The dad wanted some security on her um, for a period of time. It was a full-time job, it was really well paid. And I says, I'll do that. And the guy said to me, he says, no, you can't do that. And I, I asked why. I said, you use me on all these great tasks. You get a lot of good feedback every task I go on. So why can't I do this task? Because I'm looking for stability at full time. And he says, Sean, you're too nice. What I need for this client is someone who's going to go into the club, pick her up at the club, stick her on the shoulder because she's mixing with the crowd, stick her in the car and take her home because that's what her parents are asking for because she's getting involved in all sorts of drugs, drink, whatever she was involved with. And he says, you're not that guy. And he just made me think at the time, you know, it's like, yeah, pick the right people for the right positions. And I, did, I took no offense to that. I learned from it, you know, that was great. A great lesson. I've done that with people, you know, I'd say, tell them, this job's not for you. You're great at this, but you're not good at that. And it's, you know, using the guys, girls, the different skill sets and using them well. Indeed. I think, I think that, uh, that is maybe a good sort of place for us for our event today. Um, the right person for the right job. And, and maybe we'll also encounter the wrong training for the wrong person throughout throughout the day because if if said said career prospect involves i don't know carrying 200 pound person all the time yet you just don't you know it there's 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 things that will be a mismatch there's things that will be a mismatch i think it was something mike said earlier as well i, I think he said earlier he said never overstate your capability and i think that, that that's a big lesson as well i know there's a lot of people that I'll do that and they'll jump on every job just because they want to get obviously they, they want to get a job to pay the bills, to pay their mortgage, they have families to support. But I think exactly I don't overstate your capability, be humble. And I think sometimes your best strength is knowing what you're not good at. Not steer it away from it. But you can say, look, this is not my strength. This is what I can do for you. And being open and honest like that. And you know, companies appreciate that. And your principal and clients appreciate that. So look, I can't do that for you, but I can do this this way instead of just saying yes to everything and becoming, you know, so like I was saying, putting out too many fires. Do what you can do and what you're capable of. Don't try and move a step. You can learn stuff and grow your remit, but do it in a place that you can manage and you can comfortably carry it out. Love it. Um, the magazine going from strength to strength, uh, really valuing all the different contributions. And I'm, I'm really, I mean, if you look at the uh, podcast uh, participation rates, it's just going up uh, every, every, every single month. It's re doing really well. What, what, uh, what, do you, what do you want people to know ab ab about the magazine, what we've got coming up, what uh, they should sort of think about? Well, just, just going back to training, 
by subscribing to the magazine and listening to the podcast that can be used actually as part of your personal development. You don't have to sign up to a course to continue your personal development. Personal development could be anything, you know, it doesn't have to be specialized in rule specific, such as driving or medical. You can attend conferences like this, workshops, e-learning, as Mike said, read books or go academic degree level, do that sort of training, but also reading industry publications and keeping abreast of what's going on and listen to the podcast because, I mean, we've had Mike and Ivor both on doing some great nuggets have dropped during these podcasts. So if you have time, you know, most people have got iPhones and Android phones now, and you've got time and you're in transit on an aircraft or train going wherever you go, stick your AirPods in, give the, the podcast a listen. You can actually do some personal development on the move while you're training or whatever you may be doing at that time. Yeah, that's a great shout. And uh, so to put you on the spot, uh, Sean, what's, what's one of your favorite uh, sort of topics that we've, we've gone over on, on the podcast? I know, I know that we've done so many, we can't really have a darling uh, favorite, but, but is, is there something that stood out for you? I loved, uh, to be honest, there's quite a few I like. I really liked Ivers, oh, that was fantastic. Um, the networking one, I think it was Craig McKim. I really enjoyed that. And Craig's on the Craig's on the on the on the line as well, so that's good. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought I thought that was a really good one. And you actually tested me now. But the other one which stood out, it, just because I was involved with it, was the the butler. One, I thought there were some great nuggets there for people working in the industry who may not have started working within a family environment. I thought there were some good things that came out in that podcast. Uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. The um uh simeon rosette has uh, has found a great appetite for people coming to him looking for etiquette um and uh i know maybe throughout the course of today we'll joke about some instagram memes that people have been looking at uh aaron's uh latest uh thing that he was posting was someone saying i don't provide a service uh i'm a professional uh you don't like what i do blah blah, blah. and i think by now everyone has sort of uh, extrapolated what they want out of uh, that uh, that nice post, but I think uh, the popularity of butler training and etiquette um, is in direct contradiction to, you know, the person that wrote the the original thing, um, which which I think is nice. So I guess what we're asking people to do is listen to more fantastic podcast uh, episodes, uh, contribute more to the Circuit Magazine. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's especially your longtime uh, writer or, or, or new, um, and uh, and yet yeah, absolutely get much more involved uh, with uh, with everything. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Mike and Ivor going to hit them up for articles. I think we provide them. Be great to have some more from them guys, and Craig as well, who's online. That'd be fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, just firing back to Ivor and. Mike, you know, veterans of the industry. So anyone who's listening to them, you know, take on board everything that they're seeing. You know, some great, great stuff there. And as Mike said, you know, don't be a job snob. If, if you're new to the industry, t- take the tasks, you know, be humble. Don't just look for the, I'm a CPO. I don't do RST or I don't do door supervision. Get on them tasks and use it as part of your training and development. You go on them tasks, you know, you meet four or five guys, you get their cards, and, and you're growing your network all the time. And more work will come from that. So that's another great 
part of personal development, you know, do these jobs, don't be a job snob, try and get out, keep yourself in work and, and learn your trade. They learn your trade, and especially these these past two years, people will have found uh, interesting ways to keep involved um, and keep in the loop, which I, which I, which I think is a nice note to leave it. And I'm I'm pleased that we got a chance to sort of do these reflections. Thanks, uh, thanks very much for giving us your thoughts and sharing your uh, story. Thank you. What a treat to have Sean on the podcast in a different seat to his normal one, because normally he's asking the questions, but this was a real treat. What did you take away from today's session, John? Oh, isn't it just so good when you hear somebody speaking directly from experience there? They're not having to, you know, imagine scenarios that we might or might not find ourselves in at some point. You know, Sean's there talking you know directly from his experience and there was so much there that we can all take away from that whether you're an operator whether you're a business owner or whether you're looking some point in the future to set up a business you know for me um i, I mean for well let me say one I, I really enjoy the phrase don't be a job snob uh I, that that's a kind of beyond a phrase that's a mantra that i try to hold close to my heart because i think it's always easy you know once you've operated at a certain level uh you, you don't want to drop back from that but in this industry you have to be humble and i think that's that's a really important trait uh but yeah it's so much in that what about yourself what what were your takeaways well, my takeaways were a bit more of the distilling process or the distillation process that Sean did for the rest of the event. Because, of course, for the rest of the event, we had automotive, uh, you know, protective mobility as a topic. We had celebrity protection as a topic um, and we had risk management, for example, as a topic. And I, and I really appreciate the way, as you say, don't be a job snob. Sean linked that to say, well, you want to work in this field, then no task is too small. You you know, someone says, make a presentation and you think, oh, that's not for me. Well, actually, suddenly that gets you to open a bunch of doors that maybe wouldn't have opened uh, for you. So so I like the way that Sean linked it to the rest of the agenda. And of course, it was fantastic to see so many Circuit Magazine uh, and Circuit Podcast uh, contributors, including our great friend from ISRM, Dr. David Rubins, um, including Ivor Terrett. Mike O'Neill. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, I will do a list, but the problem is if I do a list, I'm going to leave someone else. So I've got to be careful. Um, but, 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 but it was absolutely fantastic. And we should also do a shout out to the BBA and North American Bodyguard Association members um, for whom this was complimentary as part of their membership. So that's a, that's a reason to become a member. If you're not yet a member, you should go and absolutely become a member. Um, they were out in great force, great number, but they were also really active participants, which I, which I think was great. And obviously for a speaker and, 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 and panelist like Sean, that means, you know, the world, that interactivity, so that it was clear he was hitting uh, the right notes. That said, what have we got coming up, John? Because I know we're nearly ready with the magazine, but, but, but what should people know? Yeah, well, there's tons of stuff on the horizon, like you said. Issue 62 of the magazine is just about to drop. We're putting the final touches to that at the moment. And very much like last issue, we had a great 
article come to us at the last moment, just as we were about to uh, go live, and we decided we wanted to get it in, which has caused a few days delay. But again, I sat here assuring everybody it will be worth the wait. It will, it will. And and I know we've, we've added sort of a summary, uh, a distillation of various topics from the event uh, as, as, as well, which will be key. Um, also, Elijah's done great things with the EPHQ on the uh, NABA Protector app. Um, I think that's well worth a listen. Um, obviously, it's very convenient when it's live for the uh, Pacific and uh, Eastern uh, time zones. But uh, obviously, it is available on the NABA, NABA app. And, and also shout out to everyone that's been, uh, you know, connecting and talking on the BBA Connect app today. I did a little reflection on the combative skills topic, given that our last short circuit was indeed on that very topic. So obviously, thanks to uh, people like Cedric and Suzanne, Rob, and, uh, and, and and a few others for for sort of engaging in that. There's a, there's a lot of great people on the BBA Connect app, and I think I think they deserve their own sort of round of applause, as it were. Um, so, so keep those comments coming and keep those suggestions and articles coming for the magazine. Now, following on from the Learning and Development Forum, obviously, will come more forums dedicated to things that apply to EP. We're going to be looking at EP experiences. We're going to be looking at areas that are tangential but highly applicable. And absolutely watch this space for the next one. So... Wonderful to see the one and only Sean West on the other side, giving us these pearls of wisdom. Really enjoyed his distillation and reflection on how to train your team, how to train yourself. And as we said at the very beginning, what to add on top of that core fundamental EP qualification. So from John and myself, this has been an absolutely special Circuit Magazine podcast edition with some absolute special gems from the one and only Sean West. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.